This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> it's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. To group chat after dark. I am Justin Verrier. Big Waz. The guns are out for Waz. Rob Mahoney is here. Gentlemen, what a night of playoff basketball. Waz couldn't keep his shirt off. <laughs> exactly. It was getting so hot and heated in here uh, watching Alex Caruso so lovingly. Um, I can't lie to you guys. I felt touched. But yeah, it was just a lot of fun basketball. Um, just interesting storylines going forward. This is dope. Yeah, I can't wait for another, what, thousand times where I see that same Matt Stafford commercial, because good Lord, I've seen it so many times already. Uh, I'm going to go nuts based on this one thing. You know how you can avoid that? You can actually watch League Pass, um, watch the games mm. on League Pass via the app, which is what I've been doing. Interesting. Um, and But the only thing is you would have to switch back to TNT to get a halftime show. Otherwise, you get stuck watching the lady kick the bowls on her to her head on Red the Panda. One, um, the lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's royalty. That's some respect Red on Red Panda. Panda's name. Although exactly. on, on the Matt Stafford front, not to get too far afield up top, but does he have the kind of face recognition 
where you don't even need to say his name in the commercial and everyone is supposed to know who he is? Because I got to admit, I had no idea no, who he was the first no time. I, first He's a five times player. I saw that commercial. Stop it. You played football in Detroit for like 13 years. Nobody knows you. <laughs> I've seen it so often that I'm actually in the Zapruder zone already where I'm like, I actually don't think that girl who's in all those commercials was even in there. Because if you look at her oh, from no. the front side, Absolutely her not. hair is different color than the back. I'm just saying. Yep. We're getting we're getting into it. And for the record, my uh, my partner thought that it was Haley Joel Osment uh, in that ad. So that's kind of where we're at. Interesting. Yeah, he's a little shorter. Um, all right, a lot of playoff action tonight here. Three really good games. I'm actually kind of disappointed that they overlap so much because I only caught certain halves of, of some of the later games. But the first game, let's start. Uh, pretty big implications from this one. The Celtics beat the Nets. Uh, let's start here. I was feeling after game one where Jason Tatum, Tatum hit that obviously incredible shot that this is a tough one for the Nets, not only because of obvious reasons, but because everything they got in that game seemed hard, right? And while they played well early in this game, in the second half, things got very, very, very hard yet again, especially for one Kevin Durant. Um, I guess the question is, Rob, are the Celtics guarding Kevin Durant better than you've seen anyone guard Kevin Durant throughout his illustrious career? I think so. And certainly yeah. since he's since he's reached supernatural prime era Kevin right. Durant. Since Tony Allen. Absolutely. Yeah. Since, since guys were able to kind of push him off his spot. Can't really do that anymore. But as the Celtics are showing, you can throw a lot of bodies at him. You can put a lot of length on him. And Kevin Durant, I mean, he looks exhausted for one. And even stranger, it just looks like he doesn't have the answers for the first time in five or six years, frankly. And so it, it's strange to watch. And I don't know about you guys, but I think what's been most striking to me, and it was from the opening possessions of game one, he has been mishandling the ball a lot mm. more than usual. There are hands constantly poking away his dribble, forcing him to second guess things. He had six turnovers in game one, six turnovers in this game two. That's concerning for me, for a guy who has always been in such command of how to get and get into and create his shot. Yeah, I mean, KD, uh, we could get into some of the shots that he was taking um, throughout this game. But I thought in on the main, outside of like just his general shot selection, um, you know, he was, again, he was getting the ball out quickly. Bruce Brown, freaking to start the game, scored mm -hmm. their first nine points. They were loading up on these guys, and they were like, all right, our ancillary guys are getting wide open, practice-type shots. Um, you know, they're getting to the basket. They're getting to spots that they're very comfortable hitting. And it was working. And to be honest, as bad as KD and Kyrie were this, this game, they were in control of this thing going into the fourth quarter. They had a comfortable lead. It was basically going from 9 to 13, 14 the whole entire time. And then they stopped making shots. Um, I, I thought they, you know, I thought they defended well enough against this Boston team. It's not like Tatum and Brown were killers today. Um, I just think their shot distribution, both he and Kyrie, um, were kind of horrific. Uh, mostly, uh, I think the worst example of this was when Kyrie took that step back against Horford. And what complicates this is that KD and Durant are the two best bad shot makers in the game. However, mm -hmm. friend of the pod, Haralabob Volgaris, sent me a stat. He said in the last four years, no, five years, excuse me, um, only one team has shot over 40% of their shot distribution being long twos. 
The Nets and that one team that did it, they lost. One team's done it in five years in the playoffs. The Nets are at 45% right now, which is just like, uh, Daryl Morey's got to be spinning in his grave right now <laughs> watching these Nets. <laughs> Waz bringing the stats. I, I know. What an upset. Stats Lambre oh, over we here. Think, we can think Bob. He's, he's probably put some money on the game. He's he's got some good stats back in here. I mean, but it did it seem like that throughout the course of the game? Like it didn't strike me as KD was taking particularly bad shots in this one. Like because it's those, KD. Yeah, yeah, those mid range shots are like the shots that he's always going to take, and, and he's going to make them most of the time. I thought the bigger uh, thing was more just like the hands that they, as, as Rob kind of alluded to, they were just all over him, and and KD had a quote to this effect that they were sending two, three guys at him. Al Horford. Fountain of youth for Al Horford, basically just roughing him up and and being a difference maker on both ends. Um, I don't know. I just I, I just credit the Celtics defense. It just seems like even without Rob Williams, they're playing at a level like Detroit Pistons 04 style. Um, or even like actually, I was going to ask you guys this. Um, the switchability with the size, that sort of combination. I can't think of a single defense since the Warriors dynasty. Like, uh. Can you guys, because the Rockets, for instance, had success being switchable, but that was mostly with like smaller fire plug type of guys. I can't remember a team like this doing basically what the Warriors did. I think, and we're, we're going to get into playoff bucks in a second, but <laughs> or playoff bud, we should say. But I think there were times where the Bucks finally started doing this last year, and I think that's when they ultimately took off. When they were like, wait a minute, we got P.J. Tucker, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, we have Drew Holiday, who's the best perimeter defender in the whole freaking world, the strongest dude at his size for his position. Yeah, let's start switching stuff a lot. And it unlocked what they could do defensively. Um, but yeah, the, the Celtics, but I thought, but, but we all thought this going into the playoffs that their defense would carry the day because they've been, you know, all world basically since December. And that was the case tonight for sure. And and again, there's something to be said for the shots that they're making Kyrie and KD take. But at the same time, it's like, just step back a couple steps and take a three. <laughs> like, just get the extra points. Like, just do it, guys. There is something, too, though, between knowing that the defense is this good and seeing it against Kevin Durant in a series of this magnitude to go up 2-0, which is, I mean, that's an incredible, it's not a, quite a stranglehold, but quite a position of strength to go forward for the Celtics. And to to do it with not just Rob Williams, but as, as Justin mentioned, Al Horford switching, who's had a really great defensive season and right now is looking like Florida Al running the floor, mm -hmm. just a bundle of energy. Grant Williams has been such a great switch big for them. They're playing Daniel Tice serious minutes and there was points where he was one of the most important players in the game. That they're getting those minutes from their bigs. I mean, that that's the series right there. Yeah, I think I'm just struck by it. One, because the defense has been so dominant against such a great offensive team. Um, and to see any defense be this dominant in an era where offenses are just out of control is, is surprising. And, and also because I think even though all of the math suggested that the Celtics could be a juggernaut, even in Zach Cram's ringer uh, odds machine, they are, they have the best title odds of anyone. I think it's the same for most statistical models. I think they still needed to prove it against a very good team. And they've done all of that thus far to the point where like, I'm racking my brain here. I'm like, what, can the Nets do in order to counter this? Because as we kind of talked about already, the Celtics offense wasn't that good this night. I don't know if anyone had a particularly awesome night offensively. It was more of a by committee, a couple of guys chipping in here and there. Like nobody was particularly bad. No one was particularly good. Um, 
And so on a night like that, you would expect the Nets to steal one. If they can't win a game like this, Rob, like what are the next moves here? I think it's for Kevin Durant to make more than a quarter of his shots. Like that's what it mm. has to be. If their stars are not scoring at an elite level, they're probably going to lose. That's the, the way their team is constructed right now, especially, you know, with a very important player on the roster, Ben Simmons sitting on the bench. If even if he comes back at this point, I don't know what kind of shape he would really be in realistically to help them. Uh, but they just have, they don't have a lot. They have these supporting guys who are going to be able to play off of double teams. But if you're asking Seth Curry to create looks on a bum ankle, that's not going to go great. Patty Mills has not had a good, especially second half of the season. This was Goran Dragic's best game yet, and it just didn't matter. Like they, mm-hmm. they need, they need so much more in order to keep up in a series like this. But the good news is Kyrie and Durant can give them so much more. Yeah, I, you know, at a certain point, some of this is make or miss league stuff um, where they just got to make shots. And I think, again, like I mentioned with the shot distribution, like, yeah, bro, like go downhill, stop posting KD up. You make this dude so much easier to double and triple that way. Like he, he's not a freaking post player. Like use him for what he's got. He's a threat to score from wherever he is um, out on the floor. So, yes, why don't you make it harder on the defense and stretch their asses out? That way, um, wording that was that was strange, um, but you know, <laughs> at the same time, God, in the drumming minutes, I'm over it. I'm I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. They weren't even drumming. that. They weren't that bad. I, I get fine. it, Rob. Yeah, I, I, well, I, someone I, large, you know. <laughs> yeah. What else? What else do you want them to do? I guess would be the question. I don't. I mean, to, at this point, it's got it. You got to have a two man center rotation of KD and um, Claxton, or I don't know, dust off Blake Griffin, dust off Lamarcus Aldridge. Let's see what those fools got. I, I, I realize that they're AARP at this point, but try something different. Um, but yeah, other than that, man, uh, I think. Because here's the thing. I think they're getting away with a lot with their guard rotation that the Celtics have still not found a way to exploit um, to this point in the series yet. And I find it hard that they're, they're just not going to figure out how to attack Patty Mills and, and, and Kyrie and the like. Like, they haven't done it yet, um, but I feel like that's coming at some point as well. Yeah, the fact that they haven't done it is not proof that it's safe. It's kind of the ticking <laughs> clock of the series is, like we saw in this game, they're just trying to lob passes over the top of Bruce Brown and Seth Curry to Jalen Brown and stuff inside. And those passages aren't on point yet, but they will be. You, you, give, them, you give them four, five, six cracks at it, they're going to figure yeah. it out. Yeah, it does seem like their counter could be to go with the it's a small world lineup where it's just KD surrounded by guards. But like... How many like minutes, let alone games, do you think that could work for? Especially when Seth Curry has been pretty shaky, when Patty Mills, as you mentioned, has been pretty shaky. Uh, and I don't want Kevin Durant playing five full time. I imagine they'll go to it just knowing Steve Nash wanting to just like ride his best players for as long as possible here. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they even start like that at some point. Or maybe if Ben Simmons comes in, maybe Ben Simmons plays more minutes at the five and then that's how you get Drummond out of there. But like... I don't know, man. It seems like a kind of hope and a prayer that Katie and and Kyrie can kind of save you, which is like a good hope and a prayer. Like maybe that will happen. They can win a couple games here, but overall, this is getting pretty late pretty quickly. This is a very small thing and and probably irrelevant, but 
I kind of raised an eyebrow when the Nets waived James Johnson so that they could get Kessler Edwards on their playoff roster. I get one in Kessler Edwards, but mm. you couldn't cut one of these other bigs that you're not playing. And maybe there's more going on behind the scenes with James Johnson. We don't know. He hasn't. He didn't have a great year regardless, but just in this conversation, the do we have to play Andre Drummond conversation, <laughs> it'd be nice to have another dude who's like 6'9 and can rebound because... I would I would shy away from playing KD at the five as much as you possibly can because that dude is tapped out going against a tough yeah, defense. There's a reason why he's seven feet tall and he had four rebounds in this game. Like it, asking him to do all of that, I think is asking too much. Hmm. Um, let's talk about the Celtics now. I mean, we kind of already have, but I'm curious what you guys are thinking was about them now that you've seen two games and they've played so well. Are you are you reconsidering at all? Your thoughts about the Celtics in the big picture, finals, title picture? No, I mean, I thought they had a reasonable shot, you know, all things considered. I'm still very worried about what they do in the half court. Um, it still looks just like nasty and naughty at times. Um, and uh, I'm just, the too big lineup, I, I, I'm so, I, it just gets on my nerves, right? Like, I, I get I get it. I get why they have to, why they feel like they have to do it. It's just playing Tice and, or Tice, excuse me, and Horford to get, like, this insistence upon it is just annoying. Um, especially when you got Grant Williams on the team. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I'm still worried about what they do in the half court because there's moments where Jalen Brown, he just has tunnel vision. Like, the defense sends some help his way, and he takes 20 years to recognize that somebody else is open. And by that time, the lane is closed. It's too late. That passing lane is done. Um, so I still worry about their ability to playmake in, like, you know, really high tents against really great playoff opponent defenses. Uh, but... Yeah, you got to love what they brought the defense. The defense has traveled to the playoffs. Um, this isn't a <laughs> Utah Jazz situation where the defense is dominant in one context and then in, in the playoffs, it's completely different. But uh, yeah, you got you to gotta be happy if you're a Celtics fan about what you've seen so far. There was kind of an interesting eye test versus the numbers thing going on with Boston's offense tonight because I had the same reaction you did. I'm watching them like trying to exploit Seth Curry and Andre Drummond and it's just not... Swiss watch precision going on out there. (laughs) (laughs) But then you look up, they shoot 52% from the field for this game. Their offensive rating was 122. Yep. That'll do. You know, that yeah, like- that'll do. And, you know, they they were able to get these live ball turnovers where they converted, which, again, this is the type of shit they need. It's not, they didn't play bad offense today. I'm just saying, it's the Nets. Yeah. They're not good at defense. <laughs> and and so, like, it just didn't look how you might want it to look. Like, for, like, in that first half, the way the Nets were dissecting Boston, who's a great defense, you know, by um, contrast, I was like, man, they were just picking their spots, right? Every time Boston made a move to try to send, you know, defenders to an area that they felt like they needed to sort of secure... Brooklyn was getting it to the right spot early. Their role players felt very decisive in what they wanted to do. Um, that's how you're supposed to look. It doesn't always look like that for Boston. So, yeah, they had a nice offensive rating. Um, this was a big win for them. Obviously, their best win of the season, considering the context. And, yeah, this was dope. The spirit of Brad Stevens is alive with that Daniel Thais starting lineup, man. Oh, <laughs> like, but on the one hand, like it's perplexing, I think, to everyone except for Stevens and Doka. Uh, on the other hand, they still have the Grant Williams 
next to Horford move in their pocket. Like if they wanted to yeah. go with that more often, they still have that. And the fact that they haven't had to turn to that, like just all the time, I think is encouraging. I don't even know that it's that perplexing though. You know, like the Nets play super small in their second line. They're going to play Andre Drummond to start. If there's going to be a time to play Tice, yeah. it's going to be at the beginning. Yeah. I think they would do it regardless. <laughs> they might. <laughs> they might. Some things you just feel in your soul. You know, you just yeah. feel compelled to do. Yeah, I will say, like, I don't know what's going on with Derek White. Like, was he ever able to shoot? Uh, I remember him making a three. The one, no, but that was in the bubble, <laughs> I think. He shot 40% or something like that. Um, and he basically hasn't been able to do that since. Yeah, I guess those are the lingering concerns there. I think you guys have nailed it. Like, the offense hasn't been great. Tatum obviously has had a couple moments, but where else is it coming from? Um, I don't know, though. Like, they've been the most convincing team, I would say, of the top-tier teams thus far. Do you in guys the, think of anybody else? In the else? East, at least, right? Yeah, uh, what you want to throw I mean, in the Warriors? I mean, some would say Golden yeah, State. I would say the Warriors are in there. Yeah. Golden State, though, is playing the worst team in the real playoffs, in my opinion. The Nuggets have uh, been pretty they, bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're play, they, that team is is really bad. When we had um, Adam Mares on the show, um, on our weekend show, he was like, eh, the playoffs... Eh. <laughs> This team is like really easy to figure out. It's like it's, nobody's going to have a hard time figuring out what to do against the Nuggets. Well, they have yeah. one dude who's in the role he's supposed to be in. Not a great Austin. recipe for success. Austin Rivers? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Austin Rivers. Actually, too. Bryn Forbes also into the role he's supposed to be in. Hey, Hoops fans, don't just watch all the NBA playoff action, be a part of it with FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. Right now, all new customers get a risk-free first bet up to $1,000. Just place any bet on the NBA playoffs, and if you don't win, you'll get up to 1000 bucks back in site credit. I love FanDuel. Know why? Because the app is safe and easy to use. You get your winnings fast. There's tons of betting options, and there are same-game parlays. Uh, for a couple predictions for the playoffs, my money is on the Boston Celtics winning this title. Can you believe it? My boss didn't even pay me to say that, but they are looking very good so far. And how about this one? I like Jordan Poole to lead the postseason and in scoring. Yeah, that's right. Jordan Poole, not Steph Curry, my friends. So download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, today using promo code RINGERMBA and place your risk-free first bet for a chance to take home a W on basketball's biggest stage. Remember to use promo code RINGERMBA for this amazing offer. 21 plus and present in select states only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, in Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text hope ny for 467-369 in New York, Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
All right. Well, let's turn to another team that has been winning rather convincingly, or maybe not, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers now 3-0 and up on the Toronto Raptors after a big win in Toronto uh, with Joan Beat hitting the, not buzzer beater, but what was it? Like two seconds left on the clock, 0.8 seconds left on the shot clock. Uh, so they did it. <laughs> they, they won. Uh, but was... Uh, I don't know if I'm feeling as warm and fuzzy about the Sixers. Uh, so full you know. disclosure, I missed the first half where they were getting their asses kicked, their teeth kicked in. I would love for Rob to elaborate on that because I was watching Brooklyn and I don't have five TVs in my house like some other people. I'm like um, Rob, yeah. <laughs> I just got a DVR, y'all. It's not that complicated. <laughs> but no, but, but, uh, what I will say is by the time the second half rolled around and this thing got really close, it felt like inevitable that the Sixers were going to be able to get the requ- requisite stops against, you know, Pascal Siakam isos. You know what I'm saying? Like, at a certain point, like a Pascal Siakam step back being the best that your offense can f- can generate, uh, you're just not that's, not, that's not how this goes in the postseason. Precious so Achua, like hero ball, like flailing into just, the defender. Come on, yeah. come on, man! Like, and and these are guys that I like. I really like these 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 yeah. guys as role players, but they can't be the focal point of an offense. And so, I'm not surprised that this got close and and B basically rolled this thing out to the finish. Yeah, the only reason this game was close and and significantly closer than the first two was that the Raptors' defense was much better, at least for the mm-hmm. first half, and still even largely in the second half. They just had that thing going on where Maxi was getting to the rim anytime he wanted in those first two games, and Harden was picking guys for threes, and Embiid was getting whatever he wanted. You can't win that way. And so they were at least able to muck it up a little bit, force some turnovers. They, they played a much better possession game in this one, where 12 fewer turnovers. Sixers set their season high for turnovers in, in this game with 22. That's a recipe for a game you can win. And if Precious Achua makes... One free throw with, you know, when he goes to the line with a couple seconds left in regulation, you know, maybe maybe you do win it. But it's brutal. It's it's brutal for their offense trying to score against Joel Embiid. <laughs> the uh, the conundrum that he puts you in specifically. I'm very curious to see how other teams try to solve it, because obviously you have to have a big on the floor or else Embiid is just going to eat and eat and eat. But if you do, he's going to stand in the paint or at the elbow and whatever you try to create out of ISO or pick and roll, yeah. he's just hanging out. And now, like, mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG, all these guys were trying to make things happen. And it beat, there's just a tall shadow over every single action they tried to run. So Waz and I saw the end of this one, which means we saw Doc Rivers drawing up stuff. Mostly... Joel Embiid facing up from like half court multiple <laughs> times in multiple crucial possessions. Uh, he did hit the go ahead bucket, which was like a catch and like turnaround three pointer, which for a guy who's seven feet tall yeah. and like 300 pounds, wherever the hell he is, that was unbelievable. Just your classic MVP center hitting a turnaround three. No big <laughs> deal, you know? Right. Uh, but Rob, you you caught the entire thing. So the view from the CN Tower here, give us, mm. like, was it any better for the Sixers? Because what we saw wasn't particularly great. It was a little better. And I would say, yeah, at the defense, as we mentioned, and then also health-wise, I think there's some promise. Just the fact that Gary Trent Jr. was back. He's been out with illness really over the last two games. He tried to give it a go in game two. Didn't really work. Uh, so he was looking great. And, you know, theoretically, they seem optimistic about getting Scotty Barnes back for game four. 
But if you're down 0-3, I'm not sure how much game four, it might be a little too little too late in that regard. So they just haven't been able to generate clean offense. It'll be a little better with Barnes if he's able to come back. I think there's some, some micro things that are really promising. You know, just the fact that in overtime of this game, Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid tried to run that pick and roll over and over and over. And Precious Achua and OG Ananobi were just switching it and blowing it up every time. That's cool to see projecting forward for what this team could be. I don't know that it's mm. it's really going to save this series, but it bodes well for kind of the individual pieces that the Raptors have there. Mm. Yeah, and look, and to, to, I, I, I'm kind of off of the Doc Rivers is a decent coach thing. I just don't think he is anymore. That's just not my opinion. However, I will say... It's been about three years since somebody's thrown a competent entry pass to Joel Embiid. Like I, like that, and that was going on before Doc was in there. Like there's just these dudes just don't know how to get him the ball, and so it turns into like I want to make sure that my best player MVP guy gets the rock, and it's this high screen and roll thing. You know, it's not going to be like a pin down or a big to big pin down or something like that. It's just like who's going to get him the rock. Like, even yeah. if we spring this guy loose, who's going to give him a rock? I need to send you guys a clip because in the first quarter of this game, Tyrese Maxey threw maybe the worst entry pass I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it, w- it was amazing how, oh, how far away it was from Joel Embiid and how directly into the hands of Fred Van Vliet it was. Just tremendous stuff. So where are we on the Sixers temperature check here? Because they've had moments, Maxey in particular, 38 points in that first game. They are 3-0, and about to waltz into the second round here. On the other hand, like, you know, things have been dicey at times. Doc, in particular, you know, Harden has been fine, followed out in this game, but he has been distributing it well. Uh, Waz, where are you on just, like, the Sixers thermometer? Are you, like, all the way in, which I guess would be, like, blazing hot, or are you a little cooler? I'm a little cooler because your perimeter shot creation is looking like the best player at it is a second-year guy. Um, And this idea that he's going to be able to carry that load, uh, that seems like a dubious one at best to me. And look, man, my man Nate Jones tweeted it. Like, James Harden cannot get past nobody. He hasn't done it all series. He's doing he's doing his, you know, grifter move, grabbing the arm, throwing it up, doing the one-handedness, not the quick first step, then his best move. Again, there were certain defenders on Toronto. I'm like, look, that's not OG Ananobi. Why are you dribbling 20 times and taking a step back against this kid? And that's that was his go-to move. So, like, I'm still worried about James Harden. When perhaps they play a team like, say, the Celtics down the road, that ain't going to look good for them, you know, as far as perimeter shot creation. So that's why I'd still be worried about them because, you know, Harden was supposed to solve that problem for them, right? Like, it was supposed to be like, all right, we've got our perimeter guy. Um, And I don't know that that's the case. And Maxi has shown signs, but can he really be counted upon to be the sole person generating that part of your offense? I don't know. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of the shot creation. But what Harden does do for you is he gives you, and frankly, I'm, I'm ashamed this was so important for the Sixers to get a guy who could dribble once yeah. in a while. Uh, yeah. Very yeah. important to play basketball. And so as a handler, and most importantly as a passer, yep. Harden has been very good in this series, even without creating that separation. That's really good to see that he's making 
Tobias Harris's life as easy as it can possibly be. And act- activating... Lord knows his life hasn't been easy enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> let's, all, let's, let's all pour out some pity for Tobias Harris. But yeah, like George Niang, all these guys... And this was a harrowing one because after James Arden fouled out of this game at the end of regulation, they just plugged George Niang into the starting lineup for overtime at the three. That's when it really illuminated how shallow this team is. And so if if they aren't making the most of the guys they have, they're not going to go very far. And I think Harden is super important in terms of maximizing those role players. Yeah, they're especially shallow when our guy Thibel is at home polishing his healing crystals. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, Harden's distribution <laughs> has been good, right? But there, and that has, has made everything function a lot better. But there are times where I'm like, is it great that like the bar I have for a pretty recent MVP is like late career Jason Kidd, where he could set everybody it's not up. That bad. Could still, it's not that still bad. He's better. He's better than Maverick J Kidd for sure. But I, I, the sentiment is felt. Trust me. Late Nets JV. Jason Kidd. <laughs> <laughs> um, eighteen points, ten assists a game about six rebounds. It reminds me of when we were having all-star discussions going into that and Harden was averaging about a triple double. And you're like, you know, it hasn't been great, but at a certain point, like this, the production is kind of unimpeachable. I just think that, and I, I, I tweeted this, one of my few tweets from over the past couple of days, uh, he kind of has settled into this role of like Schmedium Tobias Harris, whereas he's like, what? He's like a <laughs> high level role player. No, right. He's no, paid absolutely not. To be, he's. he's I, I'm insulary. not gonna put. I'm not gonna put Tobias Harris on him, because Harris like, has been even, good this playoffs. I'll say that. He, even this, even when he's not physically getting stuff done, like he's just headier than everybody on the court most nights, right? Like he's just smarter, um, and he makes smart plays all the time. So like, there's ways that he's contributing, like a Cal Lowry, Chris Paul type of way, just by how cerebral he is. And I don't think people talk about how genius James Harden is at the game. Like, he really has a a knack and understanding that is at the level of anybody you want to name. So he's bringing that as well. Um, But, you know, it's just the stuff that we wanted from Harden, man, that these guys desperately needed. He hasn't shown it. And maybe, you know, maybe he'll turn vegan at some point during the playoffs (laughs) and he'll... Get it going. He'll, he'll, you know, hit the time machine. Is it that fast acting? Like a couple impossible burgers <laughs> and you're just off to the listen, races? Listen, the soy is a miracle food. Get <laughs> some oat in there too. Um, let me ask you guys this. Going into this next game, who would you expect to be the second best player on the Sixers? I think it's Harden. Yeah. But you had to think about it, right? Well, yeah. I think more because Maxi was so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he, the guy who's who's dropped forty already in yeah. the series, right? So you gotta you gotta put him under consideration. But yeah, it's Harden. It's just again, and I'm somebody who, when everybody was complaining about, oh, you remember it was the hipster NBA thing to say was, I don't like watching James Harden play because he gets fouled. You know, like when everybody was doing that dumb shit, I was like defending hard. And I'm like, yo, if somebody's fouling you, because basically they can't stay in front of your ass. That's it. There's no there's no two ways about it. Um, so, you know, I've always had a lot of respect and like what Harden brought to the table. It's just that he ain't doing that anymore, man. So that's why it's a question. But we'll see. Maybe he'll figure out a different way to contribute. Because, And that's another thing. It's like. 
some guys, their skills sort of start to diminish. And obviously, it's hard to expect that it would happen rapidly, but they change the way they play. You know, mm. like James Harden is doing the exact same thing he was doing in 2017 as far as his approach to the game. It's not like he's become this guy that's like, yo, I'm going to run off screens. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be an off-ball threat. I'm going to cut off-ball. I'm going to do all of this stuff. Like, I'm going to make them start running elevators so I could pop out for three-pointers and all. No. He's just, just give me my usage. Dribble the, the air out of the ball. Hopefully it works. Sayonara. See you later. Yeah, I guess my point is just, it seems like they're all kind of on the same level now. Harden, a Maxi, a Harris. He's, fall, he's, he's fallen into that tier on the Sixers. I don't even know how to make sense of that because you're slandering Harden. Waz has been slandering Maxi for like two years running now. I, I don't know. I don't know where that like, puts any no, of these guys. Listen. I like Maxi. He's young though. That's it. I yeah. like Maxi. I like Maxi. I like I like that he gets he lives downhill. I love that about him. He's fearless. Um, but he's a young guy, and I'm sorry, young guys don't get it done for you. That's just has not traditionally been the case in high stakes um NBA basketball. That's why I don't want to be too dismissive of the guy, but he's a second year dude. I'm yeah. sorry. You was barely getting off against the Arkansas Razorbacks two years ago. <laughs> and now I'm supposed to be like, oh, he's going to be the savior in the playoffs. I can't do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not putting him at that level yet, Justin. Just like we haven't had a chance to see Maxi fail yet. And I think he, he's going to need to be in some bigger moments before we say, hey, you're as good as one of the best offensive players we've ever seen. But you might consider him surprisingly great, right? <laughs> kind of like our friends at State Farm. Yeah. You know? Let's Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> At the end of the regular season, some teams have questionable losses that make fans skeptical of their chances. But then they flip the switch when the playoffs start and surprise fans by beating the best teams in the league and showing how much they want to win a ring. Rob, other than how buff Big Waz is, are there any other surprisingly great teams from this playoffs? Well, I think the teams we were just talking about, in particular the Sixers, the fact that they're up 3-0 is surprising. The fact that they have controlled the series in the way that they have, that they fought through this competitive game three in particular, I didn't think they were going to make it out alive at, you know, at certain points, especially late in regulation and in overtime. But they figured it out. Joel Embiid is unstoppable. He hits shots that no seven-footer, maybe other than Kevin Durant, could possibly hit. And here we are. I got to say, I'm surprised by the Pels. Um, this has been such a ridiculous, absurd season. Really chaotic. Their best player hasn't played at all. Um, some might say, I think even by some, I mean us, we made that argument on the show, that they had <laughs> nothing to play for. Uh, but they've come out and shown a level of professionalism and just effort level that I'm surprised by. And it's really cool to see that they're playing with some level of pride, man. Like, they're playing against a team that basically ran through the NBA this year, and they're showing up, and they've give, they're giving them everything that they can handle. And so, shouts to the Pelicans for that. They surprised me. Mm. Well, even when you assume a team may not have all the pieces in place, they surprise everyone by proving they're worthy of a championship. It's like people that assume they can't afford great insurance, but then they discover that State Farm has surprisingly great rates. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote today. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this up with the last game of the night. Quite the slobber knocker, which we weren't expecting. I was just hoping to cruise through this last game, but um, really had to plug in into the second half because the Bulls came back. Or not came back. They actually kind of dominated this game. Uh, Bulls 114, Bucks 109 to even the series. DeMar DeRozan, 41 points. Um, let's start with the Bulls end of this, Rob. Uh, here's my question for you. Because the Bulls were in the first game, in game one, but then they kind of let it slip away at the end there. Uh, did we underestimate the Bulls going into this postseason? Clearly. You know, I would I would yeah. have picked this as one of the series that could have been a sweep, could have been a five-game series, could... I mean, maybe it still will. It's only 1-1. I don't want to overstate things too much, but I will say we both underestimated what the Bulls could do in terms of applying pressure, in terms of DeMar being a playoff performer... Uh, in terms of what their defense and the problems it could cause. And we probably overestimated the Bucks' half-court offense, which continues continues to play with fire or, or really something more mundane than that. Like, they, they leave the iron on or something, but they are, they're at serious risk of just, like, burning possessions that are critical to them. And the, the Bulls have taken full advantage of that, not only with DeMar setting you know, his, his new playoff career high, but so many of their role guys have stepped up. This has been a big Vooch series. This has been a huge Alex Caruso series. They're getting lots of key contributions from lots of guys. I mean, to me, the Vooch thing that's most important is that he's not getting completely mauled inside. He's doing the not, mauling. Like, he's posting right. up Giannis in this series. Exactly, which is not what I would have expected coming into the series. And, the, and yo, God bless the Bulls. Of course, we know superhero Alex Caruso. We already know what he does defensively. But as a team effort, because with Giannis... It has to be a team effort to keep him out of the paint. They're doing it, man, and they're doing it well. And you know, it's got the the the, the Bucks half court offense has that that old feeling of just sludge. When I when I watch them play, I just see just nasty, just black sludge, just dripping, just slowly out of a freaking landfill. It's just. Oh, it's just disgusting to watch at times. <laughs> Sorry, folks, for that visual. But it's just so bad to watch at times. And then, you know, Drew Holiday, like, at the end of the day, he can't stink offensively <laughs> yeah. if the Bucks. Very low bar, but yeah, he, he needs to get over like, that. He, like, you can't just be abjectly bad, bro, if the Bucks are going to succeed in the playoffs this year. And he had some record scratch possessions where he was just scared to shoot the three. At one point, he bricked a wide open layup. Just smoked it. 
just mm-hmm. completely, like just, just nobody was there and he just missed it. Six of 16 from the field. You know, like at a certain point, Drew Holiday's got to be competent offensively. And I think that does mean him having the ball in the, in the um, half court and creating around the gravity that Giannis um, can draw. Just making smart decisions. Giannis gets so much defensive attention. It's not like this dude has to be Chris Paul out there. Which, by the way, just imagine Chris Paul was on his freaking team. Um, but look, they won the championship. We don't need to what <laughs> if. Chris okay, Paul. that's fair. That's fair. You're right. You're right about that. You're right. I was just really just thirsty for that um, thing to happen. It would have been yeah. sweet. But yeah, it's just they're at. They, look, man, I tweeted this. I was like, I, I thought we were rid of playoff bucks. I thought we were done with it, but apparently we're not, guys. Well, it's not going to get much easier because as we were recording this, we find out that Chris Middleton has sprained an MCL in his left knee. Uh, He left in the fourth quarter. It seemed like he slipped on a play and then he went back and it seems like the diagnosis is already out here. Sprained MCL is what I believe Anthony Davis had, which made him miss four weeks. I think it was about a month, uh, 17 whole games. So I, I think the postseason as a whole is in jeopardy for Middleton. So I guess the question, Rob, how are we feeling about the Bucks' chances right now? Well, Drew's going to have to be better than competent if Chris Middleton is out for any foreseeable yeah. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Like, Forget right. what I just, rip up what I just said. Like, if if the, if the Chris Middleton can't play, um, Drew Holiday literally becomes their only other shot creator. Nothing, they, they got nothing else. Or they're going to like Outside throw it to Giannis, of course. Well, yeah, or yeah. throw it to Brooke on the block or something. Like it yeah. gets it gets real messy real fast. And we saw in this game, you know, Bobby Portis also to leave this game uh, after he got smacked in the face. So yep. I would think he'll be back. But without those two guys, you saw how shallow the rest of this roster is. How many few how few guys they can really rely on right now? Serge Ibaka, their big addition in the middle of the season, not really a factor in this series at all so far. Not really getting on the floor in this series at all so far. And the rest of their bench, there's a reason why these guys are not prominent parts of the rotation. So I, I, I'm very concerned if Chris Middleton can't play. Like this is, and, and frankly, even if he can play, because that's a player who does not have athleticism to spare. He relies on every burst and stop and start he can get. And if you have a sprained knee, it puts all of that movement in jeopardy. Much less the fact that they have him guarding DeMar DeRozan in a lot of possessions. They have him playing a crucial defensive role and he'd have to do the same thing in future series if they're going to have a long run. So that's some scary news for the Bucks potentially. Remind me, why did they trade for Serge Ibaka again? This, like, this is an idea. It kind of, you know. <laughs> like, I think I'm higher on Dante DiVincenzo than the consensus. But just <laughs> I, don't, having, I don't think you like, watched enough Dante DiVincenzo over <laughs> the last couple. Of, well, he, I mean, he even wasn't playing that much in Sacramento over the last couple of weeks of the season. Justin clearly was a fan of Jersey Shore, Rob. That's, <laughs> that's just going on here. A lot here. of fist pumps behind the DiVincenzo. Um, <laughs> but even like the DiVincenzo cynics the the ragu pessimists like sure. he was an able body who he could play <laughs> in a playoff series and so it's just like Serge Ibaka has literally one minute over the course of two games even though Bobby Portis missed a lot of this game and he was brought in ostensibly to be in a front court rotation with Lopez and Portis and Giannis <laughs> and so I don't know what they were thinking here absolutely but let's also be real. Dante DiVincenzo is not a Chris Middleton safety net. Like if Chris Middleton is out and Dante DiVincenzo is replacing him, you're still in a really rough spot. Really rough spot. Well, I guess the question is not only long-term, but like, how do we feel about them in this series? Because 
Uh, the Bulls gave them all they could handle tonight. Waz, do you think like the Bulls could even pull off this series if Middleton can't play? I mean, the thing about the Bulls is that some of the net stuff still applies here, right? Like, DeMar DeRozan dropped... <laughs> he dropped 42, 41 points on 16 made field goals, 9 made free throws, i.e. all twos. This mm. was all two-pointers. All 16 of his made field goals... <laughs> We're two-pointers. Like, you're subsisting on a heavy diet of that, of mid-rangers, right? And he's your key um, creator that way. And they went in tonight, and it looked great. But we've all been here with DeRozan. Shit, we was there with them game one, right? And so I think the precarious nature of that being your number one way to generate offense, um, that, that makes me, you know, that gives me pause as far as the Bulls and... Who knows? Maybe Budenholzer will figure out a way to score points <laughs> against a defense whose back line is the Vucci main. Well, I wouldn't say that the Bucks were the most adaptive defensively either because DeRozan mm -hmm. scored, I think, 37 of those yeah, points before he saw a single double team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you could try it, you know? Like, you could, you could try doubling. You could try forcing the ball to Tristan Thompson and see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. let Caruso, much as I love Alex Caruso, yeah. let him shoot his freaking corner threes. Have fun with that. Yeah, Alex Caruso had a good shooting game. I yeah. think it's a perfectly viable strategy to say you are going to take 15 threes tonight. Yeah, go ahead. And we're going to we see what you. happens. Yeah. I think other than like Frank Vogel, no one rides the extremes like Bud. Like one minute he's, he's the insane. best coach in the league winning a title. The next he could be fired. Like I, I really don't know where to put him. It's always one or the other. It's nowhere in the middle. Um, but I don't know, man. The Bulls have been scrappy. They've definitely done enough on the fringes. Patrick Williams has been pretty good. Caruso, as you mentioned, was really, really good in this one. I wonder if they do have enough stuff, like enough stuff in the middle, enough of those 50-50 balls, enough like hustle in order to like make up on the margins and be able to beat a team that's going to be heavily, heavily, heavily relying on Giannis going forward. Um, having said that, the Bulls bench has been absolutely atrocious. Like they have five guys and that's about it. That's, so. again, another team where it's concerning. Like, if, if Vucevic isn't great, what happens to that particular game? Like, they really need Vucevic and Levine and DeRozan to all be lights out and to get incredible winning plays from Caruso all game long and for Pat Williams to play four years older than he is. And, and he's, he's done that. Like, he's been pretty steady for them. They need a lot to break in their, in their favor still because Giannis, for as much as we... As we praised the Bulls' defense, had 33 points in this game, was still getting to the rim all the time, was still getting fouled all the time. He was as dominant as you would expect Giannis to be. And we know enough about him to know that that doesn't change. That's just what the Bulls are going to have to contend with every game of this series. Yeah, Bulls haven't had a Levine game yet. You'd expect that if DeRozan draw, does draw attention, that Levine would be free to do a little bit more there. So, Before we move on, can I make a, a quality of life proposal regarding the NBA product? <laughs> Sure. I don't know where we're going with this, but go ahead. So in the fourth quarter of this Bulls-Bucks game, uh, Drew Holiday blocked DeMar DeRozan as cleanly as I've ever seen a human being block another human being shot. It was called a foul. It was challenged, overturned, obviously. I, I, I kind of think that if a challenge is overturned, the ref who called it should have to be the one who looks in, into the lens of the camera and says I was wrong, <laughs> and personally apologized yeah, 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 to Drew Holiday as a result. Absolutely, absolutely. You want, you want like a confessional? Like yes, on Big that's Brother? exactly what I want. <laughs> okay. 
Uh, we want contrition, JV. What the yeah. hell? That Catholic upbringing. Acts of contrition. That's right. If there's no guilt, it doesn't count. Exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's uh, let's move along now. <laughs> we got that off of Rob's chest. Um, uh, big picture, East was who's the favorite now that Middleton probably out. Celtics are dominating. Sixers somewhere in between there. Man, it's crazy to think, man. It's, it's the Sixers and the Celtics. And that's yep. not to dismiss what Miami's doing because I think I love how they played against Atlanta. They've been they've been so heat about it. Just like Kyle Lowry's tackling people. He is playing mental mind games with DeAndre Hunter. It's so mean-spirited what he's doing <laughs> to that young fella. Like, I love what they're doing, the Miami heat of it all. But again, I, I worry... With a half-court offense, they super reliant on Hero to make stuff happen for them in half-court. And just what he's, the type of lunch me he is on defense, I wonder how that balance is going to work for them. Um, so I'm worried about them. But yeah, with the Celtics, I just think the Celtics and the Sixers, as crazy as it sounds, you know, the Sixers have the most talent, you know, um, of anybody left, in my opinion. However, Doc Rivers... Um, that some of that talent is wedded to James Harden. And we talked about how hard-headed he is about a specific way of playing and how that might transfer in later, more difficult series. So, yeah, I think they got the most talent. I just don't think they're going to put it together in a way that makes sense. But, yeah, give me them and, and Boston as the two if if Chris Middleton can't play. Where's the Rob Williams timeline at this point? Somewhere wrapped up in the Ben Simmons one where it's like maybe he comes sure. back or maybe is realistically targeting is, is, game does four. Does Rob Williams not qualify for Ewing theory? Is he not prominent <laughs> oh, wow. player enough? We're going there. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love the young fella. He's a good player. No, it, it feels, the East feels wide open at yeah. the moment. In, in a, like I was, as we've talked about, been feeling pretty good about the Bucks all year long. That is contingent on them having three close to or star players. And so without Middleton, I think they they go down qu- quite a lot in the competitive standing in the East. So I might be a little bit higher on Miami, but those other three teams, I'm having trouble parsing them, to be honest. I would say probably just by default, the Celtics might have an inside track at the moment based on not only how well they've played, but the fact that if, if they win their respective series, Philly and Miami are about to play each other. So, you know, again, mm-hmm. one of those teams is going to be disqualified pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, maybe the computers, the robots knew that all these injuries were going to happen before they happened, and then Damn. the Celtics were going to rise above. What else could the computers tell? Could it tell us the day I'm going to die? Well, maybe Arnold comes back and joins the Celtics. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can't say I'm saying this, but like Celtics look really, really good right now. I mean, Very I good. wouldn't be surprised if we get Warrior Celtics in the finals, which would be a really fun finals, by the way. Um, wow. Not the best travel series though um i don't know if most people want to spend ton of time yeah. in boston in the spring tough no comment tough week though for the defending champions in both conferences between but middleton see, and devin thing. booker that's tough yeah. you talk you talking about boston oh bay area Ugh, oh, wow wow not a fan yeah this is nah, rob's home I'm turf not. I'm not. I mean, th- listen, Oakland is cool. I've enjoyed myself in Oakland, but again, you'd have you'd if you were staying there, you'd be super far from the freaking stadium. And San Francisco, my thing is like I, every time I've been there, not a Negro in sight. <laughs> I'm telling you, not a one. I'm just like, how? Like, how could it? How could a city this populated? 
there'd be no Negroes anywhere. And maybe it's the area I was in because I was in like the basically the downtown area or whatever. It's not. It's not the area. I mean. <laughs> okay, so there you go. It's like, the Bay I'm Area like, you're in, you know? Segregated yeah, all like, to hell. I'm like, God damn, San Francisco. Can I get one? Not even a mixed breed. <laughs> I couldn't even get a Drizzy Drake type in there. It was just like, woo, pure as the driven snow, JV. But yeah. All right, but, uh, on that note. <laughs> on, the plus side, on the plus side, they'll just hand you like a fleece vest when you show up at the airport. So you got that looking for it. Look forward to it. Final zip up. Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it there. We'll be back Wednesday night next week. We're on a nighttime schedule now. So uh, get your Cavassier, get your uh, your Hennessy, perhaps, and, and join us for a little no free ads, potting. Justin. No free ads. <laughs> yeah, no. any time of the day, I'll give them a free ad. Uh, thank you to Isaiah Blakely for staying up late with us on production. Thank you to Ben Cruz for also chilling in the background. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you.